full-time pastoral ministry. I, I'm 59, and I, I'm hoping God for the next 10 years gives me something else different. I've been with my church 26 years, but I am a native from California, the East Bay. And, um, yeah, it was called Hayward at the time. Really, uh, I, I want to live vicariously through my kids. I want them to go to some NCAA school so I can root for them on something, right? And um, we are Chandler in Chandler, which is a near Tempe. Tempe is the home of ASU, Arizona State University, 100,000 students. And uh, I don't know what you know about Arizona, uh, ASU, send devils, so don't let that scare you. Um, but um, I, we have so many California transplants going to that school because with scholarships, it's actually cheaper to send your kid to to issue than to go to some of the local schools. And to tell you how old I was at Haywood when I was first starting, and Cal was the same price, it's $48 a quarter. And we had a $10 parking sticker, and even then we were protesting how much the, the parking sticker was. I've, I've heard I'd get sticker shock right now um, from what we are. So, yeah, I'm from the Bay Area. My wife um, is not here, and my three uh, kids, they decided to skip out on me and go get boba, okay? So I'm not offended. You know, that's just life. You know, I want to thank Pastor Dean and through him, Pastor Jim. Pastor Jim and I have been friends for many years. I went to that Castro Valley church he was serving at, and that's how we got to meet each other, and we've developed a, a long friendship. And so when I told them I was coming to the valley, they graciously asked if I would speak, and, and I counted a privilege to be here. When I started in 1993, uh, there was only about 50 in my English congregation, mostly youth. And I praise God, for whatever reason, we just grew, and we grew very quickly. Um, we then formed a college fellowship, and then a young adult fellowship. We couldn't come up with any fancy names. It was college fellowship and young adult fellowship. Then young marrieds, young families, families. And by then, it was getting so big, we started forming small groups. And then finally, senior citizens. So I... I came to the church in 93 as the youth guy, working primarily with youth. I now work primarily with senior citizens. They, those 50 and older can relate to me better. You know, I started off in my ministry doing mostly baptisms. Now I do mostly funerals and hospital visitations. But it's fine. That's how life is. Hindsight being 2020, you know, when... When I started off in ministry, I was single. So when I talk about families and I talk about children, everybody just kind of blew me off because what do you know? You're a single guy. It's like a Catholic priest, right? I'm like, you don't know anything about what we're going through. Um, and yet God blessed me, unlike Catholic priests, with getting a wife and three kids. And so when Pastor Dean told me that the uh, topic was dysfunctional families, um, a faithful God, faithful God, um, I came up with this, and God just laid this on my heart. Um, I remember when we were first starting out, when we were pregnant, and we had a bunch of young families around us. Our core young family group got to about 50, 50 people, and it was huge. But there was something, an arrogance about us, because we all said the same thing. You know what? Our Chinese parents, Chinese culture, they've screwed everything up. It's just, it's bad. But we're going to do it different. We're going to learn and we're going to show them what it's like to raise kids the right way. Well, I can tell you after now my daughter's 16, going to be a senior in high school, driving and everything, that we are all very humbled when our kids get into the teenage years. Because 
it isn't as easy as we thought. Um, basically, raising awesome Christ-centered kids with character is not easy. And we find that our cute toddlers and our innocent grade schoolers begin to develop a mind of their own. And into their teenage years, you realize uh, that many of them can choose to go down a destructive path. And there's not much we can do about it. And so that seems to happen. And, and the question I want to bring up this morning is we as parents who are trying to raise our kids right, what can we do to get them back on the right path? And that's why on this topic I've chosen a character, Samson, because I think we can learn a lot about that. And by the way, young people don't zone out because this message is for you as well. Now, oop, I left my uh, clicker thing. I think it's right here. Ah, there it is. Can't do anything without the clicker, right? Um, If you haven't already, turn to Samuel chapter 13, 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 1. And this is what it says. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Before we go on, let's just pray and ask the Lord to be our teacher this morning. Father, we thank you for this time. And I thank you for these dear people. And it's just so exciting to be able to come out of state, come to another place and feel right at home in the body of believers. I pray that this morning your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and tell us how we can be encouraged in raising up our kids and how to encourage the young people as well. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Samson was born during a time when they didn't have kings yet. They were ruled, Israel was ruled by judges. You see it right there. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did what's right in his own eyes. And you know what? I've lived a pretty long life and I've seen this country change and I think that's what we're living in right now everybody is doing what they think is right in their own eyes there is no God there is no set of standards that we're to live by 13 verse 1 tells us that at the time Samson the people the Philistines were harassing God's people and our text further explains that this oppression of the Jews was not because of their superior weapons although they had them but rather because God was judging them for their evil in their hearts, for their disobedience. And so God hands them over to the Philistines for 40 years. But God does not forget his people just like he does not forget us. And the text goes on and says this. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you're going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and you don't eat anything unclean because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor will touch his head because the boy is to be a Nazarite, a set apart to God from birth and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Even today, to be childless in that culture, especially with a mark of shame. To not have children, to not have someone take on your inheritance and ancestors was just just embarrassing. So when God graciously promises a son to this barren wife, and the couple's ecstatic, they can't believe that God would do this. The question, though, as I was studying this text, 
And maybe you ask the same question as you're reading this is, why them? Why would God choose to bless them? And as I thought about it, the text doesn't say, but I, I got to believe as in the case of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Elizabeth, the mother of John, that somehow God wants to bless those who are faithful and righteous. And so he blesses Mr. and Mrs. Manoa with a promise of a boy. But Mrs. Manoa, you got to do certain things. Don't drink alcohol. Don't eat anything unkosher because your son is a Nazarite. Will be a Nazarite. And you say, what's a Nazarite? Well, a Nazarite was a person who, it means literally to separate, to consecrate yourself, to make yourself holy. So people chose to make a vow to God to be a Nazarite. Usually it would be for 30 days or 60 days or even up to 100 days. And they would say, I am set apart to do God's work. Now, the thing about that's different about Samson is he didn't choose. It was chosen for him by God. You will be set apart when you, um, when you are born and you will be a Nazarite for life. It was the same for Samuel, the prophet, and John the Baptist later. Before they were born, vows were taken, and their parents would raise them up to be men of God. And it's an important crux of our story to remember that Nazarites, to keep their vow, abstained from wine and other intoxicating drinks. They refused to cut their hair. So if I was here in this sanctuary and you were a Nazarite man, guys, your hair would be down to hair in a ponytail. It would look good. I'm not sure they had to have a beard. But the bottom line is... You stuck out. And that's what a Nazarite did. You knew they were taking this kind of vow. The other thing is that a Nazarite refused to touch or go near a dead body because that would make them ceremonially unclean. Note that the angel asked Samson's mother to keep all these vows during her pregnancy. And a godly, devout woman, she did it. And uh, last service, I gave you the example. I had severe allergies growing up. I mean, I vomited everything up, two years old. I couldn't eat anything, literally, just meat and jello. And, and, and so I got through that time period, but we were afraid when we were having our three kids if they would have the same kind of allergies. And so our allergist friend, Dwayne Wong, said, you know what, avoid these six allergens, wheat, soy, nuts, seafood, um, eggs, and there's one other, uh, dairy. Right, I don't know why I forget dairy. But Asians, we, we avoid dairy anyway, right? Lactose intolerance. So that one wasn't hard. But the others were hard because my wife loves seafood and she loves desserts, all right? But she obeyed the doctor. And the year during pregnancy and the year after for lack, uh, for um, um, nursing the kids, she avoided all that. Can you imagine? Think of those six. What would your diet be like? And could you do it? She did it for three kids. That means six years of her life, she avoided the food she loved. But she did it because she wanted to be obedient and give my kids a chance. And they did. Their allergies are pretty much minimal. They're not like me. No eczema, none. You know, it's just great. And so that's what these godly parents-to-be did. They raised the boy the way the angel told them. Look at what it says. The angel of the Lord answered, Your wife must do all I've told her. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, nor drink any wine, nor any fermented drink, nor eat anything unclean. She must do everything that I commanded. And that's what we as godly parents want to do. We want to do everything to make things right. In addition, Manoah, the husband, uh, he offered God a young goat, grain offering. And so in every way, they showed themselves to be God-fearing, to be godly. 
We skipped nine months ahead, and the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir while he was in Menahem Dan between Zorah and Eshdol. And so this verse tells us a lot about the relationship between God and Manoah and his family. You might look at your own family and say, man, we never had it this good. And the answer is you probably never have had it this good. Samson had every advantage you can imagine. Birth predicted by an angel. Godly parents who loved him and was dedicated to raising him right. He's uniquely called before even his birth to be a Nazarite. And verse 24 says he was blessed. And verse 25 says that the Spirit of God stirred in him, which is the strongest term you can use in the Hebrew to allow us to know that he is touched by God. And so his whole life is set up to do great things. He should become great. Unfortunately, there's a slight detour. And it happens, and we see it in chapter 14, verse 1 and 2. It says, Samson went down to Timnah and saw a young Philistine woman whom he, when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now go get her for me and make her my wife. Now let's pick up the context of this message. Uh, the, the Philistines controlled the entire territory, but they were benevolent enough to let the, the Jews wander around. And so he goes four miles away to Timnah and he meets this woman and we don't know anything about her the only thing we know is this she is good looking she is one hot looking woman and he can't help but just fall in love first sight and that was the beginning of Samson's many problems that would follow he was a man controlled by his eyes by his lust by his sensual desires but Manoah just like we parents, can kind of see sometimes when something is an infatuation, when it's puppy love, it's not real. And I recall an old pastor whom we were told um, about a young teen who had a strong infatuation with a pretty girl. It's puppy love. But, you know, he said, to the puppy, it's real. And so we have to remember that, yeah, that, that is so intense. But for us, as we get older, we understand the reality of the situation. And so this isn't exactly what Samson's parents wanted to hear. And we pick up their response in verse 3. His father and mother replied, Isn't there some acceptable women among your relatives or all our people? Do you have to go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? You know, he's like, what, what's the problem? You see, they're godly parents. And in those days, the parents picked the wife for the children. You know, sometimes I wish we had that. One time my daughter was six years old, and she said, Daddy, can I marry you? Well, I'm looking, okay, that's weird. I said, that only happens in Alabama, honey, but no. <laughs> I said, no, honey, you want to look for a man. Two things. He loves God and loves you. And she says, okay, I got that in mind. And she says, Dad, can you pick my husband for me? Oh, man. I got out a piece of paper. I signed my... My dad will pick my husband for me, and I had it notarized. So I got that, I got that going for me in a few years. Husband, fathers, mothers were supposed to pick the kids. Okay? And they had two issues. One, she, she wasn't from their relatives. She wasn't a Jew. We're not talking about Chinese. We're talking about, you know, having the culture 
that would uplift her. And secondly, as a Philistine, she wouldn't have worshipped the, the same gods. And so she wouldn't have, they would have worshipped foreign gods. And so we see that they're trying to get Samson to go in the right direction. But look at his response right there. Let's go back. Samson said to his father, nevertheless, what he said, he said, go get her for me. She's the right one for me. Man, that's how our kids respond to them. It's like, okay, this is what you should do. This is a, No, I want to do it this way. Samson was essentially saying to his parents, look, she's the one. I don't care. Get her for me. No ifs, ands, or buts. And what parent hasn't felt that pressure? If you have teenagers, young adults, have not felt that pressure where your kid is saying, I want it this way and this is what I want. And we as parents have to make a decision at that point. Do we give in or do we hold strong? And growing up in my home, I had it both. I I shared this last time. When I was growing up, um, my neighbor had a 1968 Camaro, Chevy Camaro. Good-looking car. Hot. Fast. Chick magnet, okay? It was a great car for a thousand bucks. And I told my parents, I really want this car. Please let me have it. Well, they said no. You know why they said? Because it only gets 11 miles per gallon. And two, when you got that many horse, horses under the hood, you're going to kill yourself. And you know what? They're probably right. They never let me get it. I was forced to drive our family car, 1974 yellow, bright yellow, lemon colored Super Beetle. You know, that was not a chick magnet, okay? As you could hear me coming down the street. It sounded like a sewing machine going. And that's what I got to drive. They said no. Um, and sometimes we as parents have to say that. But there are other times when you've got to pick your battles, right? We call it picking our battles. That was when I was about 10 and my brother's 8 and my, daughter was, I mean, my sister was 6. And they gave us liver, beef liver. And they had it at the dinner table and said, eat it. We took one bite and said, uh-uh, we're not eating this. They said, you will sit at this table until you eat that liver. Six o'clock goes by. Seven o'clock goes by. Eight o'clock goes by. Finally, nine o'clock, go to bed, okay? And they never gave us liver again. They picked their battles. And we pick our battles. Where do we say yes to reluctantly, and where do we say absolutely not? And so Samson's parents realize they're not going to fight him on this. And so we go forward in the text. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward them, him, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. So he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. And then he went down and talked with the woman, and he liked her. <laughs> I like her. He just went and killed the lion with his bare hand. And now he feels pretty good. You know, I kind of I read this passage and I visualize Samson like he's some sort of ancient Hulk. You know what I mean? He 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 took his muscles and he says, you know, Samson smash, you know, and and just ripped this line apart. But it wasn't by his own strength he did it. It says by the Lord. He didn't necessarily have 26 inch biceps. And this is a good reminder for all of us in Christ. That is, our true strength is not in our physical um, or even intellectual capabilities. You might have it all going, but if you don't know the Lord Jesus, if you are not in the Lord, you are weak. You are a ship without a rudder. Now, there's something else in this text that hints of Samson's wayward character. Note that his parents knew nothing about the incident of the line. You're like, how'd that happen? Well, uh, verses 8 and 9, we haven't read it, but he, must, he split off, I think, from them. 
And while he was doing that, he broke two of his Nazarite vows. One, he took, walked through the vineyard, probably had some grapes, and he killed a lion and thus came into contact with a dead body. And so he was spiritually unclean. But he hid it from his parents. They could not tell what he had just done. And it was this hidden sin that kept him going down the wrong path. And the awful truth about sin is that it finds its power in darkness, hidden from everybody else. And verse 7 says, They went down to Timnah, met with the Philistine woman again, and it reinforced his desire for her. And if you get a chance to read the rest of, of the book, uh, uh, of the incident of Samson, you'll find that when you play with fire, young people, when we play with fire, we're going to get burned. And I encourage you later on, maybe tonight, read the rest up to, I think, chapter 17, and you'll get what happens to Samson. But as we come to the close of the narrative in this sermon, what can you and I learn from Samson's life and how to work with our children and you children, how to live out your life? You know, I think as a parent, I realized from the life of Samson that there are no guarantees that my child will become an outstanding person. And that's really hard to think about. I mean, look at his background. Those of us who are parents, aren't we, aren't we like Manoah and his wife? We, we eagerly seek to have children. We desire to raise them in the Lord. And we pray that they'll do well in school. And they'll have good character. And we, we pray that they'll find a good spouse and one who loves God. And, and we do everything in our power to do everything to make this happen. And you know what, kids? You mess it up. You do your own thing. And it's not like we as parents aren't prepared to do the right thing. When you, even when before you were born, we as parents, while your mom was pregnant, we, we were looking for good advice. We even listened to our parents, maybe how to do it, but also maybe to say, we're not going to do it that way. We're going to do it the exact opposite. And your parents read books and they listened to psychologists and pediatricians wondering whether they should spank you or not. And, and we read, you know, we look up information on baby websites, and we got every known tool and gadget known to mankind to raise you kids properly. You guys remember when your kids were like this tall, right? We go to Disneyland or, or you know whatever. You go up to the Bay Area. Well, how many of you have been to Arizona? Okay, all five of you, probably the Grand Canyon. But here's the deal: the whole back of the tr- truck is just stuffed with stuff, right? You have to have it. And we do everything in our power to raise you right. We avoid violence on TV and watch our language around you. And we, your parents actually move to a location where you have a better home. They got a job. They better school system. We do everything in our power. We involve ourselves in your academic studies, your music practice, athletic endeavors. How many of you play piano or violin? Yeah. Okay. I don't know why that's endemic, right? I actually asked the parents, why? Why? Why do your kids have to learn piano? Do you know piano? They go, no. I go, so why are you all, you know, that's another topic for these days. And so we do all these things, and we pray at mealtimes and pray for you at you sleep, and we encourage you to have your quiet times, and we encourage you to go to camp and serve in the church, and then you go off to college. And we pray that you will stay close to the Lord. You'll work hard in your studies, avoid making foolish choices, associate with good friends, with good character, and get into a godly relationship. 
find a meaningful job, do well financially, and darn it, your kids just don't go that route. You mess it up. And you know, we as parents, I've been in a Chinese church long enough to know that I'd love to keep these things under wraps, what's happening, but you know what? You hear the whispering among your fellowships and small groups in the pews, PTA meeting, about how the child was a bad egg. You know, uh, apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Obviously, it's the parents. We lack control over our kids, or the opposite, we're too over-controlling. And you and I, we look at what's happened, and we say, I want to shout from the rooftop, it's not our fault. We're not perfect. We know we're not perfect. We've done everything in our power to try to raise them right, but it didn't happen. And what do you think God is like? Yeah, he's like a Chinese parent. I call it the seven A's and one B syndrome, right? He doesn't know the seven A's that we parents do. He knows the one B. No, that's not true. You know what I think God does? He says this. He says, you know, I know you made mistakes. But I want you to know, if you've done the best you can, even when you are in sin and even when you just can't do it right, it's not your fault. You did the best you can. I honor your effort. But here's the thing that I think he has taught me as a parent, as my daughter is going into her senior year and then will be off on her own college. He says, you better swallow your pride. You better swallow your pride and realize that your child is not a pet project. You kids ever feel like a pet project? One of the youth came to me later and she says, yeah, that's how I feel. My parents treat me like a pet project. In high school, the class I loved the most was advanced biology. But going from my junior and senior year, I knew one of the things we had to do was get a rat and condition it. And I was afraid because rats are gross to me, right? Big, ugly things. But I bought one from the Castle Valley Pet Store about this big. And she was so cute. And I just, she was amazing. I spent so much time with her every morning in class and then bring her home on the weekend. I trained her to do everything. She was literally a pet. I could let her run around here now. And if I call her name, immediately she would come, jump up, sit on my shoulder, wait for me to give her some food. I mean, it was that amazing. We had her do a contraption. I won, I won the maze contest. I did everything. Why? Because I spent so much time with her. I did everything right. And the other thing is, she's a rat. She's conditioned. She will do exactly what I want her to do. And sometimes I think we have the same mentality towards our children. We expect them to do everything. Press the right button, you know, get the right answer, do Kumon and AP courses, and voila, we have the model child. But it doesn't work that way. And those of you, how many of you have multiple siblings? Either you're growing up with multiple siblings or you were multiple. Guess what? How I know that God made each one of us unique. Because when I look at my siblings and when I look at my kids, they're all different. And they're raised by the same parents. So that's why God's telling you, look, I made your child one of kind. Their DNA is as unique as a snowflake, as original as their fingerprints. That's why you can't just make one thing. Read my owner's manual and you'll note that I, 
I created her innermost being. I knit her together in the womb. She's fearfully and wonderfully made. You can't control her like a pet project. I showed this in my other thing. My kids, my wife's family never had pets, so we'll never have a dog. But they all want a dog. But my my daughter was dog sitting three weeks, you know. She knows how hard of work it is to raise a to, to be with a dog. Well, one thing the dogs do what? They get hair all over and they have to eat and they poop all over and they pee on everything and they rip everything apart. And people still want a dog, but they don't want to deal with that. So what do they do? They go to Japan and get a robotic dog. Robotic dogs are awesome. When you say, come here, fetch, they do everything. They love you unconditionally until the batteries run out. Right? Somehow, sometimes that's what we want. I want the real dog, but you know what? I want it to act like a robotic dog. And our children are not robots. Sometimes we need that gentle reminder that A plus B doesn't necessarily equal C, especially when it comes to raising kids. And I find it interesting that the parents who are most apt to brag about how great their kids are are the ones who have the most messed up kids. And you say, you know it, right? You know it. It's like, oh, they're bragging like, my kids know that kid. He's messed up. And the question is, why do these parents live in this fantasy? And I think it's the same problem like Samson did with his parents. The reason why is because those kids hide from their parents what they're really like. And you say to yourself, well, I want to have an open relationship with my kids. I want to, you know, kids, you hear it, right? Let's, let's be honest. Let's, let's talk. And yet it doesn't happen. And I've often asked kids, why is it that you will not be open and honest with your parents on what you're struggling with? And their answer usually comes one of two ways. Number one, they don't believe that you can accept who they really are. And number two, they can't accept what you want to become. And so they just hide it from you. Get the good grades so that mom and dad will get off my case. And then I can just live my life the way I want to. And that's what Samson did. He lived a hidden life. And he had that perfect facade. But he kept sinning. And sin finds its strength in darkness. It gets more and more powerful each passing day. If it's not dealt with. Ask the man who's, you know, the guy who's stuck on pornography. Ask the people who have a gambling addiction. Everything like that. You keep going down this path. And nobody knows about it. And you're not willing to be open and transparent about it. It will find its strength. That's what happened with, with Samson. He rehooks up with a Philistine woman. She's no good for him. And we as parents, we see our kids going down this destructive path. And we say, what can we do about it? And the answer is, not much. Not much. I remember taking a counseling class in seminary. And they... And, and the counseling professor made it very stark for us. I didn't have kids at that time. But he said this. Do your kids have the choice to go to hell? Can they choose to go to hell? What's the answer? Yeah. I can't save them. I can't force them to make a decision to follow Jesus. And so we realize that we can only do so much. There are no guarantees. And so we end up 
<laughs> in this sermon, you all like parents and kids are like, this is a really a downer message. Let's hear from Pastor Dean next week so we can be encouraged. <laughs> Where do we want to go? I do want to encourage you. And here it is. If you like to fill in the blanks on your outline, this is what I want you to know. For you parents, I don't know how old your kids. They may be VBS age. They may be college age. They may be youth, teens, maybe even adults. And you're seeing them going down this destructive path. But here's what I want you to see. God, not you, not me, is in control of our children. We need to be involved. Many of you are very involved with your kids. But I also know living in Silicon Valley, many of us work 60, 70 hours a week. I don't know how you can be involved working that much. But we still need to be involved. We need to give. We need to sacrifice. We need to set a good example. More is caught than taught. I see that with our families all the time. But more importantly, most importantly, we parents need to pray. I got one more year with my oldest daughter and then she goes off to college. And I don't want her in my home. I want her in the dorm. She needs to grow up. But I have no control. We were talking about, oh, I can watch her internet stuff. I can do this and that. She's 18. She's 19. She's in college. I cannot control her. So what's the best way to have that control? Pray. Ask God to watch over her. We need to get our hands and knees daily and lift up our children on the family altar and ask God to mold them into the vessels that they need to become. Don't pray that they will never stumble. I know that's a knee-jerk response for us. I don't want them to get hurt. I don't want them to fail. Guess what? They're going to fail. My daughter just started learning to drive six months. And I said to myself, if she can go three years and only get one ticket or one accident, I'm in good shape. But literally, we're saying, we want to avoid all that. Well, guess what? They're going to. We all had to go through it. But pray that they'll learn through it and not do it anymore. And then, when your kids are away, and I've had parents, their kids are in 30s and 40s, and they're like, they're still away from us. Keep praying for them. Because like the prodigal son, one day, hopefully, they'll come back. And they'll come back because they know you will embrace them, just like the father. Don't burn bridges. As one young person who was seeing a family struggle like that said, always give them a reason to come back. We need to keep loving our kids no matter where they're going, no matter what bad choices they made in life. We love them unconditionally. And that's for Manoa. That's for us parents. But some of you are not there in your life. You're young. You're single. You're a young adult, college, teen. And you say to yourself, that's not where I'm at. I'm more like Samson. And there's a lesson for you as well. Be thankful that even though your parents are far from perfect in character and raising you, They're trying to do the best job. I've never met a parent that says, I am trying to intentionally abuse my child. No matter how poor our parenting skills are, we're all trying to do the best that we can do. And yes, they push you too hard when you're young. They shame you not to be good enough. Withheld affection, affirmation, never apologize for doing wrong. And you say to yourself, they're hypocrites. What they show at church is not what they are at home. And guess what? I get it. I totally get it. And perhaps like Samson, you want to rebel against them, against God, against the church. But I want you to know something. This morning, God is saying, forgive them. Let it go. Let it go. It's hard. 
I know it's hard. It's something I've struggled in my own life. But you know what? They can change too. They can. My father changed. My father never one accepted the Lord. Accept the Lord. But four years ago, he had cancer on his deathbed. Uh, he kept saying, no, 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 no. Finally, on his deathbed, he said, Derek, I changed my mind. And I sprinkled him. And three days later, he went unconscious. And two days later, he passed away. But I know we will see him in heaven. My mother's still alive, has not accepted the Lord. But we're praying right now, because that's the only way to see her change, that she will accept the Lord. Last Yesterday, my eight-year-old son, we were so proud of him. He was evangelizing my my mother, my, my her, his grandmother. Well, Jesus does this and this. And it's so awesome to watch him. You know, he goes, Dad, that's now four people. You know, there was an Indian boy. He said his name. He doesn't believe. He believes in a lot of gods. You know, a few months later, he said, you know, Manash said, Dad, that he now ex- thinks Jesus is the right way. And I said, Good job, man. So people can change, but it takes prayer, and it takes diligence. And so we praise God, and I hope. And trust that you can go home. There's some questions on your outline that I want you to discuss among your peers or with your family. Some of you are really afraid to talk to your parents about this kind of stuff. And some of you parents feel it's awkward or your kids won't listen. But just start that process, okay? If you know the story, if you know the story of Samson, it actually ended well. But it cost him something. Those of you who know, he was blinded. But you know what's funny? I think that was from God too. Because what was the root of his problem and sin? It was eyesight. It was his eyesight. So God said, I'll take that out of your life. Sometimes God has to do extreme surgery to remove that which hurts us. And you think you need it, and you think you absolutely have to have it, but God needs to take it from your life. Pray that God will do that for you. And that in the end, everything will be exactly the way you want. We're doing this series right now. Dysfunctional families, faithful God. God is always faithful. And all of our families are dysfunctional. I I'm not... Pastor, Pastor, have you met a family that's like awesome? And if they say they are, they're lying. We don't know what's going on in the home. You know what's going on at home. Let's start the process of turning the boat around and getting our families healthy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. And we thank you that you are a gracious God. I pray right now for our people that you would give them the tools, the heart, the passion to give it up to you so that they can grow in you. We pray for those who are suffering like Samson, Lord, who are being destroyed by their desires, that you would help them to overcome them. Take that 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 from them which is causing them destruction. And we pray for the parents, Lord that they would show grace and mercy and pray fervently for these young people. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so now we're going to sing our song of response.